Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss, to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hello, friend. I am so glad to be here with you. I have good news and bad news. So I'm about to jump into an episode with Gretchen Rubin. She's back exactly 100 episodes since her last appearance. How cool is that? Anyway, Gretchen's back, full of thought-provoking content as usual. But here's the deal. I have recorded 2.1 episodes now with bad sound quality. You've heard one already, the red light therapy episode, and I recorded one that's in the queue that you haven't heard yet. And this episode with Gretchen is the one where we fix it. But the first three minutes of our talk are with bad audio. And after that, it is smooth sailing. So yes, there's one more interview to come with not ideal sound quality. This one sounds like it's going to be that one, but it's not. Bear with me for three minutes and then it gets way better. Okay, first, a word from our sponsor. You guys already know that my pantry was full of Bob's Red Mill nut flowers and their oats and their other staples long before they sponsored the show. But now they've given me the perfect excuse to branch out in a big way. So you know I am dabbling in intuitive eating and I'm really trying to eat what I want to satisfaction. Well, one thing that I haven't done in years is eat grains that I actually enjoy. Now, Kimberly Snyder, a long time ago, introduced me to Millet and Amaranth. I have her cookbooks. I really love them. She's the Beauty Detox Solution and other books. And Kimberly introduced me to Millet and Amaranth as two gluten-free grains that are full of fiber and very satiating and just whole healthy foods. I was scared to eat them for three years because they had carbs in them. I'm happy to report that Bob's Red Mill has got me covered. I have millet in the pantry. I have amaranth in the pantry. I have quinoa in the pantry. And when I add these grains that are gluten-free to my meal, it adds such a healthy dose of fiber. I'm so much more satiated. I'm fuller. I'm happier. My fiber intake is up and I'm just enjoying my meals. It's like comfort food plus a ton of veggies and whatever else I'm throwing together. And it's so easy and quick. So right now, as you know, bobsredmill.com is giving us 25% off. With code Ella at checkout, you get 25% off. They're millet, they're amaranth, they're quinoa, they're rolled oats, whatever you can think of for that pantry. Bob's Red Mill has got it. Check them out at bobsredmill.com. All right, let's jump in with Gretchen. Here we go. Hey, everyone, you're on air with Ella, and it is my distinct pleasure and privilege to have back on the show, Miss Gretchen Rubin. Hey, Gretchen, how are you? I'm so happy to be talking to you again. Thanks for having me. I love chatting with you. And apparently, the only thing I love more than chatting with you, Gretchen, is chatting about you and about your work. I'm so happy to hear that. It's great to hear it strikes a chord with you. Well, guys, you remember Gretchen. She wrote The Happiness Project. She wrote Happier at Home. She wrote Better Than Before, which is the book I have gifted more than any other book. And Gretchen is back today to talk to us about several things, not the least of which being The Four Tendencies, her new book. Gretchen, tell me what prompted you to write The Four Tendencies. 
Well, you know, as you said, I was I was writing this book about habits and I was noticing all these patterns when I would think about how people successfully made or broke habits. You know, like a friend of mine said to me, well, you know, the weird thing about me is I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's the same person. It's the same behavior. At one time it was effortless. Now she can't do it. So what explains this pattern of why at one time a habit came easily, and but at another time a habit seemed impossible to form? So I began looking for more and more patterns like that, and that's what led me to the discovery of this four tendencies framework that really shows how people fall into four categories in the way that they respond to expectations. Well, I personally am obsessed with habit formation, with why we can yeah. form habits, with why we can't. Gretchen, like I share this obsession with you. I, <laughs> I would have loved to have seen you to have been a fly on the wall the day that you that the four tendencies came to you as a framework. I mean, you invented this. Am I right? <laughs> Yes. Well, I did. I absolutely did. And it's funny, like if you'd seen me at my desk, it was like I probably like literally jumped in my chair because I had noticed all these patterns, but I didn't know if they fit together, if they were related to each other, what what they meant. You know, like people who would say when I would say to them, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Some people would say, well, I would keep a resolution at any time that it made sense to me, but I wouldn't do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. Now, that struck me because the arbitrariness of January 1st never really bothered me. But it was like, did that fit with my friend on the track team? Like, how are all these things related? And then one day I was looking at my to-do list, you know, sitting in my lap, my computer, looking at my messy to-do list. And all of a sudden it hit me that the, the, the thread was this idea of expectations. And it hit me, you know, like a ton of bricks that it's expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline, inner expectations, like a New Year's resolution. And that this was the thing that pulled all these seemingly very unrelated patterns together and made sense of how people behave. I couldn't figure out, like, why are people acting the way they do? Well, now I know. It's the four tendencies. <laughs> Let's, as a refresher for everybody, share what they are. So, yeah. again, this is how you respond to expectations. So let's go through them. I know this is like falling off of a log for you, Gretchen. Hit us. Oh. <laughs> Right. You're absolutely right. It's how you respond to outer and inner expectations. And depending on that, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do it if they think it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their standard, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their standard, they will resist. And they, they tend to dislike anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. Then obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is like my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. But when she was just trying to go on her own, she struggled. And by the way, that's the largest tendency for both men and women. That's the one that most people belong to. So you either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. And then finally, rebel. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Typically, they don't even tell themselves what to do. Like They wouldn't typically sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Like, why would I bind myself in advance like that? So those are the four tendencies. And as I said, obliger is the largest tendency. Right behind that is questioner. 
Rebel is a small tendency, it's a conspicuous tendency, but it's the one the fewest number of people belong to, and only slightly larger than Rebel is Upholder, which is my tendency. Those are the two extreme personality types. Not that many people are Rebels or Upholders. Well, the last time we spoke, I was like, I'm an Upholder. Let me tell you why. It's because, and the truth is, upon further reflection and really in understanding these frameworks better, I am 1,000% a questioner. I have obliger tendency, I mean, excuse me, upholder tendencies, but, you know, I might I might dip into that circle if it's a Venn diagram, you know, I have a, yeah. few, a few toes in that circle, but wow, I sure will follow a rule or, or adhere to something if I understand it, believe in it, support it, yes. and accept it as valid. <laughs> Well, and that's a really important thing to know because because one of the thing like one of the questions is, and I know you think about this all the time, why do people stall out? Like they say something's really important to them and yet they're not able to follow through. What's getting in their way? And often for questioners, it's because really deep down, they're just not convinced. They really haven't gotten to the place where they really believe that this is the most efficient way to exercise or this is the right decision for them or they really trust this doctor's judgment. They just really aren't there yet in having their questions answered to their satisfaction and so their actions don't follow. So it's good to know that you're a questioner because then it's always like, well, once I get the justification I need, I know that I can follow through. And see, this is where I get really excited because this is everything. This is where self-awareness is so incredibly powerful because if you're asking yourself the right questions, it can be utterly transformative in your life. So so you used a great example when you said, if you're wondering why you're stalling out on something, well, for me, if I don't have a solid why, and yes. and I can mean that almost in a meta way, Gretchen, you yeah. know, it, it doesn't always have to be super literal or... Yes. Tangible, you know, but if I'm, if I'm missing a why, like it ain't going to happen or it's not going to happen for very long. So I'm sure that's something you see a lot of. No, absolutely. Because, because the deep question of questioners is why should I, Yeah. you know, and why should I do this? (laughs) And when they stall out, often it's because they don't really know why should I now contrast that with obligers for obligers who are, who are struggling to meet inner expectations, which is the big frustration for obligers is that they meet outer expectations, but they struggle with their own inner expectations. The solution for them, by contrast, is outer accountability. For, for obligers to meet inner expectations, they have to create structures of outer accountability. If you want to read a book, join a book club. If you want to exercise more, work out with a trainer, sign up for a class, you know, sign up for a 5K where you're going to be earning money for an important charity. Think about your duty to be a good role model for your children. Think about how disappointed your dog's going to be if you don't take him for his daily run. There's a million ways to create outer accountability. That's what obligers need. But the problem is, if you don't have that self-awareness, back to your very crucial point about self-awareness, if you don't understand yourself, you might not push the right button. And then you're frustrated because something's not working, but you're trying to do something the way, you're doing what worked for your sister-in-law. Yeah, but your sister-in-law is different from you. You got to do what's right for you. And so by having more self-awareness, you can figure out sort of how to hack yourself, how to set up a situation in a way that's going to make it more likely for you to succeed. And the thing about all these tendencies is there's nothing wrong with you if you have this struggle. There's a lot of people in the same boat. There's a million tools that people have figured out to help them through the situation. So figure it out, learn what all the possibilities are. I bet there's things that you haven't thought of yet. And, and then try that. And a lot of times people feel um, a lot more, um, it just rings truer for them and they're much more able to follow through because it fits with their nature instead of them trying to fit themselves into somebody else's idea of what they should be able to do. It doesn't matter what you should be able to do. It only matters what works for you. This is such an important key, I believe, that unlocks 
so much for people when they're in the middle of a struggle or they they set an objective for themselves, a goal, and they want to achieve that because Susie did. And I can see Susie yeah. on Instagram and Susie gets yeah. up at 4 a.m. every morning yeah. and after her CrossFit, she has a green smoothie and yeah. <laughs> she, somewhere in there she's meditated for 45 minutes. And if Susie can do it, then why can't yeah. I, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Did I not just describe social media? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, and it's so true. And I think people beat themselves up because something they see something coming easily to somebody else. And then they're like, well, what's wrong with me that it's not easy for me. And it's like, well, that person's completely different from you. Maybe you need to set this up in an entirely different way, which is fine. You know, there's no, there's no, sometimes people think, well, I should be able to do it this way. And it's like, th there's no one best way. It's just whatever works for you. This is so important. And I am, I would describe myself as a rather self-motivated questioner, but my mom, and I don't think she would mind me saying this because I think anyone would deduce this inside of 35 seconds of spending time with her. She <laughs> is a full on obliger. She does not have a toe in any other circle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she yeah. is full obliger, hundred percent. And she wasn't exercising and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't doing all these things that she's very capable of doing. And so I signed up for Krav Maga, a self-defense class, and I got it for her as a gift. And now she would never miss that hour of exercise with me because it's our time together, but she's utterly committed to showing up because I'm counting on her to do this with me and I make her come to my house. So we go together, blah, blah, blah. So my point is like, you can create all these hooks. You can create them yourself. If you're the obliger, obviously you can create these accountability measures for your, for your own self. True. No, absolutely. And, the, and one of my favorite things about doing the research for the four tendencies book was learning from obligers, all the creative, imaginative, ingenious ways that they create outer accountability for themselves. One of my favorites was a woman who wanted to get up early, but she lived by herself, was totally immune, immune to snooze alarms and did not have a dog. So I was like, well, that's an interesting challenge. How do you create outer accountability in that situation? So she used the social media management platform Hootsuite to create an embarrassing Facebook post that posted every day unless she got up to disable it. So that got her <laughs> up out of bed. So it's like, it's, you know, and some obligers, and, and, and it's an important point, um, so obligers are very different in what they, what they feel accountable to. So like you're, what you're describing is probably like the most compelling form of accountability, which is an actual person who's actually waiting for you to show up and is going right. to be kind of annoyed if you don't. But some obligers could do things like thinking of their future self. Future Ella will wish I did this. Now Ella doesn't want to do it, but future Ella is going to be really disappointed if now Ella doesn't do it. So I owe it to my future self. I've been amazed by how many obligers can use that. Um, some obligers can do things like, um, you know, think of their duty to be a role model for someone else. Other people are, you know, I have to quit smoking because I don't want other people on my team to think that this is, this is healthy behavior, or I don't want anybody, you know, in my circle to see, to think that I, that I, you know, condone this, or I don't want to set a bad example for them. So there's a million ways to create outer accountability when you know, that's what you need. And I don't know about you, but as a questioner and as an upholder, for questioners and upholders, inner account, inner expectations are very, very important. And so if you're, if, if an upholder or questioner is talking to an obliger who's struggling, we might be tempted to say something like, well, you just have to get clarity on what you want. You mm -hmm. need to sit down and think about what's important to you and why you want it. Because for us, that is what drives us forward. But see, that doesn't work for an obliger. The obliger needs outer accountability. And so it's, again, you might not understand what someone else needs. Or someone might ask you to give them accountability, like, oh, please give me a deadline. And you're like, no, no, just do it whenever, just do it whenever you have time. It's like, no, if a person's asking you for a deadline, 
help them out. Give them a deadline. That's going to actually make it easier for them. Well, and let's talk about Rebels because I think you can repackage and reframe this for Rebels too because let's use the exercise class as sort of the, yeah. you know, the super easy example. The Rebel could say, could create maybe not future Rebel, future identity, but say, how do I want to identify? I am a person that does Krav Maga or I, I am, yeah. I am a kickboxer. Therefore, I'm going to go yeah. to this class or, or I don't have to go to this class, but of course I want to because I'm a badass. You know, I mean, whatever. Like, yes. am I on the no, right track that, here? <laughs> that is absolutely correct because you put your finger on one of the key things for rebels, which is identity. They always want to be projecting their identity into the world. They want to be true to their authentic self. So if you're like, I'm a kickboxer or, you know, I'm a gym rat, then I'm going to act in ways that uh, are consistent with that. Even if it sort of goes against my rebel nature, rebels tend to not want to do repetitive uh, tasks. They don't like to be locked into schedules or calendars. Um, so one way that a lot of rebels deal with sort of the kind of thing you're talking about, but then also their dislike of calendars is like they might, jo- they might have the, e- the exercise schedules for four different gyms in their town. And they're like, you know what, today I feel like kickboxing. Today I feel like, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling a little stiff. I think I'll do yoga today. Oh, you know, it's such a beautiful day outside. I feel like running outside. So then, so they make it more spontaneous. So they're getting that habit of exercise, but they don't feel locked in. Or they might join a gigantic gym that has tons of offerings. So it's like, I like, I go to a strength training gym where it's all you can do is weight training. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you're in, you're out. There's nothing else to do. I like that. To rebel, they're like, ooh, I feel too locked in. I want to have a lot of choices. Um, But this idea of identity, like I am this. I want to put this out into the world, you know, that I'm a female boxer. That's what I am. And of course I'm going to train regularly. And of course I'm going to, you know, eat right. And of course I'm going to do all the things that are going to allow me to put that into the, put that into the world. Now, if you're going to shift a little bit and let's talk about more like health, like let's say you're a doctor trying to get a rebel to do exercise. Another thing that you can do is, uh, so you're talking about identity. That's one of the most powerful things used with rebels. And another is information consequences choice. You give the rebel the information they need you tell them the consequences of their action, of their inaction, and then you let them choose. So if you were a doctor talking to a rebel who, let's say, wasn't doing their, uh, their physical therapy after surgery, mm-hmm. you could say something like, um, well, you know, uh, you had surgery two weeks ago, and, and what we found is that when people do these exercises, they tend to be much more pain-free, they, mu- they tend to have much more freedom of movement, they tend to be less dependent on others, uh, they tend to like go on and be much less frail, uh, you know, 20, 30 years down the line. And so they're still traveling. They're still able to take care of themselves. You know, it's up to you if you want more information, whatever works for you. So you've, you've told, given them the information they need. You've tell, told them the consequences. And also in that I'm coming down hard on the idea of freedom mm-hmm. which, and not being trapped, which is very important for rebels. I want to be free. I don't want it to be dependent on other people. I want to be able to get on an airplane and go somewhere if I want to. Cause I, so I want to be healthy because I want to have freedom and choice. And then I'm giving, I'm giving options. You pick what works for you. I'm here to support you. I'm not telling you what to do. Here's the information if you want it. That tends to work much better than, look, doctor's orders are you have to do this, mm-hmm. this, this rehab, you know, twice a day. And if you don't, you know, you're really going to pay and, you know, uh, everybody's counting on you. And, you know, and then it's like, well, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to take doctor's orders. Um, you want to see that this is what they want. This is what's going to allow. They want to choose to do this because it serves their ends, not because they're doing what you tell them to do. Right. And they feel stifled by that expectation. Yes. Yeah. OK. Yes. All right. That makes perfect sense. Now, one of the things that I love about the book, The Four Tendencies, which, in my opinion, 
is absolutely not a companion book to Better Than Before. Rather, it is a standalone book. And one of the reasons I love it... Now, of course, once you read it, if you haven't read Better Than Before, you're going to race back out to get that. But the four tendencies, it's like... It gives you the secret to working to, with all these different types of personalities, whether you're literally working with them or whether you're a home with them related to them in some way or whether this is part of your social circle. But you do such a brilliant job in the book of saying, this is how you deal with a rebel. This might be how you deal with a rebel at work. This might be how you deal with an obliger. Here are the ways to talk to an obliger. Here are ways that would probably backfire. I mean, you don't, it's implied anyway. And so you give the keys to the kingdom in helping people manage relationship dynamics by explaining the way that people that fit into these categories see the world. Can you unsee this or do you, like, is this something you are living with every day of your life? Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because one of the things I I think that's kind of funny about the four tendencies is that once you once once you sort of learn the framework, it's not subtle. This is like a no. I kind of can't believe that no one else has ever noticed this before, as far as I can tell, like in the history of the world, which seems right. completely improbable. Because once you see it, it's very obvious. Like people within it, um, I was talking to Melissa Hartwig, and she said she can tell within if, per, if a person writes more than two sentences on Instagram, <laughs> she can tell what their tendency is. I mean, it's very blatant. Now, sometimes you can't tell with a child because children aren't autonomous in the way adults are. Sometimes you really can tell. Sometimes you have to wait for them to be more like a young adult. But sure. for adults, it's obvious, It's often very, very clear. But, you know, you, you often talk about self-awareness. And the thing is, it's very hard to be aware of the way that we see the world that's different from other people. You just sort of can't help but assume that other people basically see things the way you do. But when it comes... In a lot of ways, we do see things very, very different from, from, differently from each other, and that can lead to conflict. And then when you just understand, like, oh, this person, this is why this person keeps asking question after question after question. It's not that they're undermining my authority. It's not that they're questioning my judgment. They're not trying to be stubborn or difficult or, like, not a team player. They just really want to understand why we're doing things the way we are. So I don't have to take that personally. I just have to make sure that they get the answers that they need. And so it does, it reduces conflict because it shows you like somebody's just coming from a very different place and that's okay. There's a lot of strength that comes from that. A lot of, we get a lot from each other. Like as an upholder, I've gained so much from studying rebels, which is my opposite tendency, Um, but it can cause problems if you don't understand it. But I do think once you see these four tendencies, they're very easy to spot. Like I'm watching Game of Thrones and I'm like, oh my God, I wonder what Cersei is. You know, I'm trying to figure it out. Stannis, he's an upholder. That one was very easy, but um, yeah, it's fun to to try to see them in the world. Well, what would you say to Linda? She's a listener and she said, I loved better than before, but I could not identify myself with one of the personality types. I did the tests in the book, but nope, neither felt like me or none felt like me. Any advice? And now let me take a stab at this and then you okay. you correct me. Okay. So in my opinion, Linda would either not want to be associated with a category. And I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but part of that bothers me. Like, I think it's so annoying that I can be categorized so easily. Like, that's just <laughs> annoying. But, but okay. Okay. You've got my number. That's fine. So like when I take those personality tests and they completely nail my personality, ugh, annoying. Okay. So that might, that has a little bit of a rebel feel, but I don't think it's exclusive to rebels. I would say that Linda could possibly, and of course this is with no information at all. Right. I would suggest that she may very well be a questioner because yep. our 
type. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> really, really prove it. Why does this matter? How can you prove it? How are you sure? Are you sure I fit into one of these? What would you say since, you know, you sort of invented it? <laughs> well, you get a gold star for being right Woo! on the nose. I think, yes. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. I think she's probably a questioner because first of all, questioners are like, I question the validity of this framework. <laughs> and when they look at the questions, they're constantly looking for exceptions and like, well, you know, looking for kind of like, well, I might do this, I might do that. Where, um, but also think about the questioners is that upholders, obligers, and rebels, they really see how they're different from other people. Like, I know that I am not a questioner and I'm not an obliger and not a rebel. Like, it's clear to me. And I think the other three tendencies, they really identify with that. So it's, it's, it's obvious to them what their tendencies. Questioners, it's much more like, because it's part of their nature, they're like, well, in some circumstances, I would respond like an upholder. And in some places, some, sometimes I might respond like a rebel. Like I was talking to a high school student and he said, well, I'm a mix of all. And I said, well, tell me, give me a scenario that makes you say that. He said, well, if I have a teacher I respect, I'll do whatever the teacher asks. So I'm an upholder. But then if I have a teacher I don't respect, I'll refuse to do what they ask. And that's like, and so in that way, I'm a rebel. And I was like, no, you're a hundred percent questioner because one of the questioners first questions is why would I listen to you? And it's like, if I don't, if I don't trust your judgment, I'm not going to do what you say. That's questioner. So feeling like you're, you're feeling like you're all of them tends to suggest that you are, you're spitting yourself into the different categories as a questioner. Questioners are like, isn't everyone a questioner? And it's like, uh, no, they're definitely not. <laughs> I had three people ask the same question, and I think I know what you're going to say. So their Instagram handles are run, refuel, restore, and then paleostasis, and then Gigi. They all ask the same question, essentially. Let me read you two of them. Okay, so, great. So how can I be an obliger and a rebel? Professionally, I meet deadlines. I do as I told, and I meet people's expectations very well. But in my personal life, regarding my weight loss or well-being goals, for example, I hate setting up rules or plans, etc. So I hate making plans to go to the gym as I want to wake up and feel what I like doing and then decide to go. But I don't have to wait until I wake up to see how I feel to decide whether to go to work or not. I just go as an obliger. Hope this makes sense. And now paleostasis says, I'm a rebel and an obliger, meaning I people please because I don't want to ruffle any feathers and I'm a hidden rebel. Say someone asked me to do a task. I may have wanted to do it before I was asked, but now I don't want to do it just because someone asked me. But I will do it anyway because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I also want people to think of me as helpful. I wish I had another tendency. I don't like being a rebel. And I have great news for her. Even though you should not beat yourself up based on your tendency, and we'll talk about that, she isn't. Yeah. Well, you really know this. Oh my God. Uh, Gretchen, I'm like, I have like my PhD in Gretchen no, Rubin's do. work. Yeah. I, 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 Absolutely. I, you're, <laughs> knocking, you're knocking it out of the park. This is great. I tell you, um, I'm obsessed with how we build habits and stick to them because it's everything. We think that just a little sidebar, we think that everything, sometimes we think it's super meta. We're like, oh, I just wish I were the kind of person that could lose five pounds and live a fulfilled life. And then other times we're like, I had that habit. I felt great. And then I broke it. And like, when you understand yourself, it gives you the keys to the kingdom and then you can do whatever 
you do. <laughs> That's 100%. right. That's where I'm coming from. So, so back it's to paleostasis. So okay. Sorry. Yeah. I told you I'm a little lit up about this. So paleostasis, yeah. great news. You're not a rebel, but I'll let the expert yeah. explain why. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I think, so both of these um, fans of yours are talking about sort of the same thing, which is the affinity between obligers and rebels. Mm-hmm. So all of the, all of the tendencies overlap with two, two other tendencies. So like an obliger is like uh, an upholder in that they both readily meet outer expectations. But obligers are also like rebels in that they both resist uh, inner expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a deep, deep affinity between obligers and rebels. And, and depending on where you are in your tendency, you can kind of tip to one of the overlapping tendencies or the other. Both of these folks sound like they, they're obligers who tip to rebels. So they're very close to the mm-hmm. rebel sense of resistance and, not, and saying like, no, 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 you can't do, you're not the boss of me. But they're kind of in a that's a that's hard to bear as an obliger because of course you do very heavily feel the weight of outer expectations. And one of those folks in particular kind of articulated, I don't want to be told what to do, but I do it anyway and I resent it, but I'm doing it. And that's, you know, they don't even have the like the rubble who's just like, I don't even care. You know, so they feel they they're caught there. And there's a very striking pattern that you see among obligers of obliger rebellion. And this yes. is when an obliger will meet, meet, meet an expectation, and then suddenly they snap. And they're like, this I will not do. And sometimes it's small and symbolic. Like, I'm not going to answer your emails for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's huge. It's like, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to end a 20-year friendship. I'm going to walk out the door and start working for a competitor because you're dead to me and I'm had it. <laughs> and obliger rebellion happens when an obliger feels neglected or taken advantage of or exploited or when burdens are just insupportably heavy. And obliger rebellion is really meant to protect obligers. It kind of it blows them out of a situation that they feel like has become insupportable. But the problem with the Blighted Rebellion is it's often destructive. It's not like a reasoned resistance. It's not like a slow backing up. It's just everything's... And, and obligers use metaphors like balloons bursting under pressure, lids being blown off pots, mm-hmm. volcanoes erupting. So it's And people around you are often like, well, if you didn't want to do it, why didn't you tell me it? Or like, where's this coming from? I didn't, you never said anything about this before. So it can be very destructive. That here's the thing about obliger rebellion, and this is what one of your fans is alluding to. Obliger rebellion often is directed to the self, and it can often take the form of being health-related. Like everybody's expecting too much from me, and so I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit sugar. Yes. Everybody's expecting so much from me, I can't go to the gym, and I'm going to rebel, and it's going to be a form of rebellion that doesn't affect anybody else. There's not going to be any repercussions to anybody else, only for me, and so maybe that feels safer to me. But of course it's still destructive. It's just destructive to you. And so when you get that feeling, it's a feeling of deep resentment and burnout. It's too much. It's too much. Something's got to give. This is the feeling of obliger rebellion. And so when you're an obliger or you're around an obliger, you want to watch out for when that feeling starts to build and you want to create an escape hatch or relief to protect because it's really better not to go into deep obliger rebellion because it is sort of uncontrolled. It's meant to be protective and sometimes it is very valuable. Sometimes it's absolutely valuable, even life-saving. But sometimes, often, it's very destructive. And here's another thing about obligers. They need outer accountability even for self-care. Even to do things for fun. If you're like, I always want to get a manicure, but I never do. I always want to get a massage, but I never do. I always want to take a nap, but I never do. I always want to sit on the couch and read for two hours, but I never do. It's like, you need outer accountability for that. So if there's something that you want to do and you're not doing it, figure out the outer accountability. So you could say to your kid, you could be like, you know what? 
your your teacher says you need to read. Well, I want to read too. So when I'm doing your when you're doing your reading, I'm going to do my reading. And if I don't do my reading, you don't have to do your reading. So you're going to have to read because you want your kid to read. You know, there's all kinds of ways to build this in. And so now you're reading for fun, but there's also this outer accountability that's going to help you stick to it because you're you're forcing yourself to relax. You know, and that's what obligers need. Yeah. And you touched on something that I think is really worth underscoring here. And that is that there is no point in beating yourself up over your tendency. So an obliger might, you know, they might be like, oh, I just wish I were. There's no I wish there's no there's no, again, delusion of transformation that you can figure out the magic thing that, you know, the pill you can take that will suddenly have you wanting to live the life of an upholder like that doesn't that doesn't exist in my book. So when you when you struggle with self-acceptance, you just delay, delay, delay. But when you can sort of accept yourself where you are and start where you are, use what you have and do what you can, that's where real change can happen, in my opinion. What do you say to people who kind of beat themselves up over their tendency? Well, I I mean, I just absolutely couldn't agree more with what you just said. I think it's just absolutely, absolutely crucial to recognize that. And I mean, practically every time I, I go out in the world and talk to people, somebody says to me, I don't want to be this. I want to be that. How do I change? And it always makes me very sad because I'm like, you don't have to change. You're fine the way you are. It's not that you lack willpower. It's not that you lack self-control. It's not that you should be different. It's not surprising that something comes easily to somebody else that's, that's difficult for you. Whatever tendency you are, there's many, 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 many people who are right there with you who have the same struggles. They've come up with all kinds of tools that you can learn from to figure out how to solve this issue for yourself. But you don't need to change yourself. You don't have to like have some kind of massive transformation. You just have to set up your circumstances differently. And I mean, I know you talk about this all the time. It's not that hard to do. Once you just like put your mind to it and you're like, well, how do I set this up That's right. in a way that works for me? Like, what are the little tweaks that I can do in the, and it, you know, the concrete, manageable things that I can do? Just like you and you, just like with you and your mother and the exercise thing. That was not a big deal. You just had to think like, what does my mother need? Because what I need doesn't matter. I need to think about what would work for her. How can I set up a situation that's going to work for her? And now we're going to have this wonderful experience together. And she is going to have the experience of exercise, which I know is so important. It's not that. But so like if you were if your mother was like, oh, I need to change. Is that even possible? I don't know. Exactly. But if, if it is, if it is possible, it's a ton of work and very, <laughs> very frustrating. I'm like, take the quick, easy way. Take the shortcut. Because you can get the life you want. You can meet your aims. You just have to do it in a way that's right for you. That's quick and easy. You know, take the shortcut. That's right. You do you. (laughs) And and to think that I should be different. Like, for for instance, obligers often think that it's somehow higher or better uh, to be be accountable to inner expectations without outer accountability. So they're like, well, I want to be more like an upholder. And I'm like... Like, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever. Just get outer accountability. And then you'll have, you'll look exactly like an upholder. I met a woman today in the airport and she was saying she didn't know if she was an obliger or an upholder. And talking to her, it was clear she's an obliger, but she just built in so much outer accountability instinctively into her life that it it was like, you couldn't, she couldn't really tell. I'm like, that's the thing. It doesn't really, it didn't really matter because she was doing everything she wanted to do. So in that case, there's no limitation or weakness to your tendency that you're experiencing. So problem solved. 
Well, and I have two hypotheses that I want to share with you. And I think obligers, of course, all generalizations are false, right? But um, obligers, I think one thing that I envy in an obliger is obligers tend to build community better. And again, this is a gross generalization, but you know, I'm a questioner and we uphold our questioners and upholders and everyone sort of over hovering on the, you know, the, the left and the the Northwest side of the four tendencies. Yeah. Like we can kind of be the, I am a rock. I am an island and I'll just do it myself tendency, yes. I would yes. I would presume. And yes. obligers are going to actually be better community builders and more social. And I actually really appreciate and value that in obligers. And I know many. And they're usually much better at sort of building that kind of sense of community because it helps them. I don't think they're doing it consciously because they know that. But I, I really think that's a beautiful thing about obligers. Again, I'm generalizing. Right. And sometimes, and, 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 uh, you know, somebody said to me, well, I don't want my son to be an obliger because I want him to be a leader. I was like, that's a false choice because many leaders are obligers and they do things because they feel compelled to do. They're like, I need to do this for other people. Like I'm, I'm, I feel compelled to lead because I owe it to the community or I owe it to my people. I mean, you look at, I mean, I don't know if you are into uh, YA literature, but you look at someone like Katniss Everdeen from Mm -hmm. Hunger Games. She's 100% an obliger. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't doing oh, any of that. She was questioning, or, you know, she wasn't a Hermione Granger, to speak of another uh, character from children's literature. Mm-hmm. Um, she was doing it because she had to do it for, for everybody else. And, and she was the person who, you know, led the revolution. Yeah. And now the thing about the obligers is to, to the point of like, they're the people, they're kind of the rock of the world. They're the people everybody can count on. Um, Sometimes obligers feel like they're more likely to be taken advantage of or exploited. And that's absolutely true. They are exploited and taken advantage of. Because if an upholder or a questioner or a rebel wants to ask somebody for a favor, like, will you take the shift? Will you proofread my report? Um, Will you help me out even Mm -hmm. though we're racing out the door? You're going to go to the obliger because those are the ones who are most likely to say yes. So that's their great strength, and it's also a frustration. And so it's like, yes, recognize the power. that Each, each of these tendencies has tremendous power and strength. But the power and strengths are the same as the weaknesses and the limitations. You just need to manage that and figure it out. But you're right, tremendous strength within the obliger tendency. I think I may have uncovered a strength for questioners. I have a theory, and that theory is that questioners make really excellent negotiators for two reasons. One is we're not afraid to ask questions. So we're like, well, why does it cost that much? Well, is there anything we can do about it? Or just by asking the question, but there's something, it's not a boldness. It's a curiosity and a willingness to ask questions that actually, I think supports the ability to negotiate better. And I've noticed my husband who is a leader obliger. He's an obliger. We're both independent consultants in our, in our professional lives. And he's an obliger and a wonderful team leader. I'm a questioner and a terrible team leader. I'm very much like a solo act, right? So yeah. he is a he hates negotiating because it feels con- yes. contrary to him. And to yes. me, I'm like, no, 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 we just need to know XYZ. Like let's just ask. And then, you know, and then I end up doing the that that type of dirty work, so to speak. But I don't look at it as dirty work. So anyway, that's my theory. Have you ever heard anything of that nature? Or do you fundamentally agree or disagree? Well, you know, I never thought about it. You're going to, you've given me something to really ponder, but it's really rings true to me. I think you're right. And it's interesting because people often say to me, like, how do the tendencies match up with like career choices? And and I think just about any tendency could do any career in their own way. Mm -hmm. But it is true that you do, that there's certain things that you're more inclined to be good at. And I think you're absolutely right. Just as rebels 
kind of have, there's kind of a, they're good at sales because it's like, Hey man, whatever you need to do that sale, you know, they're comfortable like pushing the edges and like figuring out like, well, we're going to have to like do things a little bit differently to close this. Um, I could see how questioners, because it's not like they're, they're just like, well, just explain to me why I'm just trying to understand here. And it would really (laughs) fit with their mentality. But, but you're, but this raises a very important point about the tendencies, which is this is only the way a person responds to an expectation. So you could have 50, so you're a questioner, we could have 50 questioners here, and depending on how ambitious they were, how considerate of other people's feelings they were, how intellectual they were, how extroverted or introverted they were, how controlling they were, how adventurous they were, how neurotic they were, they would look very different from each other. But, but as to one thing, how they responded to expectations, they would be the same, which is when you ask or tell me to do something, what's my response? My response is, why should I? And so that, in that way, they would be the same. But it is true that because there's a certain kind of, there are certain associations that come with that, why should I, that would make a certain kind of either workplace environment or actual content of a specific career kind of more or less uh, comfortable. Like it would come more naturally. People tend to do best what comes naturally. And you're right. Like it fits with the, the, that kind of process comes very naturally to questioners because that's how they live their life. Listen, your books always, always make me think. Okay, I have one more question to get on the table, Gretchen. And that is, and this is my questioner tendency, I loved, Uh loved, loved when you challenged us to look at what do you envy? Who do you envy? What sorts of situations or contexts make you feel the feeling of envy? Can you explain that to listeners as to why that's a useful question to ask oneself, no matter what your tendency yeah, well, you're exactly right. I think it's a super useful question because often we don't even want to acknowledge that we feel envy. It's a very, very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. almost kind of, sh- it can feel almost shameful or embarrassing. And we don't like to admit that we feel envious. But the fact is envy is an extremely useful emotion because it, what it shows you is that somebody has something that you wish you had. And sometimes we don't want to admit things to ourselves that we wish we had something. It can be very painful and scary to realize that you wish your life were different in some way. And so feel, acknowledging feelings of envy, it's like a big, big flashing light, like, hey, there's something here. And I remember talking to somebody where she was, she was saying all these very critical things about this coworker um, who was always planning these trips. And mm. she was being very snarky to me about her coworker. And now she's always going off here and she's going off there. And I said to her, well, it sounds like you're really envious of all these trips. And this was like a revelation to her. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's why I'm mad at her. It's because really I envy her. And the funny thing is, she's like, I could take those trips too. There's nothing stopping me. I just need to get organized, you know, because it is, you have to get organized. You have to make plans. You have to clear your calendar. You have to, you know, it's work to go to travel, to make it, to, um, and, but then she did. And she was so happy because she was just somebody who loved to travel and it had kind of fallen out of her life, which happens to a lot of people. You just get busy and you don't make the time to take those trips, even if it's something that really energizes you. And so acknowledging that she felt that emotion of envy was really a signpost to her for really positive changes she could make in her own life. But she'd been sort of unwilling to admit that. 
consciously to herself. Well, while that was a bit of a random question for me to throw out there, I just think it is such a brilliant question to spend time with. And like you, Gretchen, I just believe that self-awareness is everything. It is the beginning of everything. And it's it's it never is. it's never over. It's entirely iterative. But but you you understand, I think, the spirit of what I'm saying, which is when you oh, 100%. right? Like and so so that question was a different way of asking, you know, getting to what your core values are or your core goals. And I just I just thought it was a very provocative way to think about what you really, really want. Thank you for that. So you guys, I need to tell you, if you would like to unlock the secret of so many of your relationship dynamics, then you've got to get a copy (laughs) of The Four Tendencies because Gretchen just lays it out beautifully. It's like a manual for life. Gretchen, I appreciate you so much and everything you bring to the world. And I can't wait to see how our paths will cross again next. Gretchen, thank you so much. Thanks. I feel like we could talk all day. We're interested in so many of the the same things. So it's such a pleasure (laughs) to talk to you again and hope to cross paths with you again soon. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.